Welcome to the weekly FinFeed podcast. FinFeed brings you all the latest in market-moving ASX small cap news as well as interviews with innovative and groundbreaking company leaders and entrepreneurs. Here to speak with us today about the ups and downs of the cannabis industry, cannabis in Canada, and what he sees as the future of the cannabis industry is COO and Director of Embark Health, Mike Curtis. Mike is an experienced former investment banker and private equity executive who is now an active cannabis sector executive. Mike, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. I want to talk primarily today about Embark Health, but I want to start with a little bit about you. I know you're an investment banker and a private equity manager, which is a fairly conservative industry. What brought you into the cannabis industry from that sector? Sure. So I was based in Canada. I had been originally before I became a banker, I was actually a healthcare professional working in the London Health Science Center, which is the second largest teaching hospital in Canada. I then morphed after getting my MBA into the banking community, but I primarily continued to focus on healthcare companies. So pharmaceutical, big cap biotech, et cetera. As the cannabis sector began to open up in Canada, I really couldn't get a sense of how I could be involved just because it was really recreational. And then I met a gentleman named Greg Boone, and Greg was the founder of a company called DoseCan, which we sold to Cannabis Weed and Uxley at the time. And he talked to me about extraction, and then I got the understanding of how it was going to be pharmaceutical grade and how this was really kind of the middle part of anything, any product that you wanted to produce. And eventually, longer term, as you get more clinical, the extraction space and those big labs are where you needed to be. So right away, I got it. We funded DoseCan. That went exceptionally well. We, we sold that for almost $40 million. And then at the same time, MMJ was, they were the lead investor for the DoseCan deal. They were the lead investor for Metafarm. And now they're the lead investor for Embark Health and Sequoia as well, both extraction companies. And, you know, we had a view early that extraction was going to be just essential to this. Not a lot of other people did. They built massive greenhouses and other operations. And, and we stuck to what we know. And, and it's really turned out very well for us. Mm-hmm. Just going back a little bit, where did that interest in health come from initially for you? I was a university athlete who then went and was injured a lot and ended up in a physiotherapy department post all that. So it was kind of a natural athlete to student athlete to then eventually just a clinician. Yeah, yeah. And how have you tracked, I guess, the health benefits and I guess the health nature of the movement of cannabis and and how do you compare that to I guess basic medical health? Sure so cannabis they've done some studies on it over the years and it's proved that if you're you know under 19 very bad for brain development beyond that there's really no significant side effects associated with cannabis it's a great drug in the sense that it doesn't have any of the toxicity issues you'd see with a lot of things. So our expectation is over time, you're going to see things like cancer and a variety of other areas be treated with these types of things. Right now, what you're already seeing is in sort of these orphan indications where they're giving the drug for something that the body doesn't produce or doesn't produce naturally, but that's going to broaden that over time here as the uses are just going to be exponential, we think. And it's really, you know, it's a drug that's been around for many, many years, Mm. proven to be very, very safe, but the stigma associated with it has resulted in not being used in the medical case. But I think that's going to change very rapidly. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, Canada is a pioneer in this industry and the changes that have occurred to the cannabis industry have really in Canada. 
what are some of the major changes you've seen and how have people reacted to those over time? Well, I think you've seen it both in the states now, state by state, and as well as in Canada, where you're seeing legalization happening and crime rates are going down, right? Alcohol use going down. A variety of these things that people have made as proponents of if you have cannabis use, it's going to just skyrocket crime and other things. They're just proving not to happen, right? And it's really, you know, more than anything, probably been a lot of lobbying power on behalf of the big pharmaceutical companies and others to keep cannabis out of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the biggest challenges? At this point in time now, I think in Canada, initially it was the over-regulation, which is gradually opening up here quickly. And at the same time, I think, and you've seen it in the sector, is medicinal is always the first sort of approval that a country will see happen. And you're seeing that happen in Australia. But the nuance that happens is those medicinal operations are generally the most costly to build and they produce the least amount, whereas you head downstream into the outdoor grows, which are really the cheapest. So, so all the companies that made these massive medicinal pushes, like in Aurora, for example, off the hop, it ended up penalizing them longer term. They had to you know, raise it enormous amounts of capital and build these excessively expensive facilities, which now they're proving they they just can't scale them. So, you know, sometimes being a little bit late to the party has actually worked out for some of these folks. And now Health Canada regulations are loosening. So it's really, it's getting to be a space now where you can really work effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I guess some of those challenges that that were evident last year were in the fact that companies had scaled too quickly and it hurt their business. How have you seen that? Well, you know, how have you seen that come back around? Yeah, what we saw at sort of the August of last year was we really began to enter what was a pretty difficult bear market for most of the cannabis companies. What I just described in terms of the costs and the earnings was playing out in the market. What you've seen now is most of those companies have basically got themselves cash flow positive or heading in that direction. So the companies that you see out there in the cannabis space are really like the, the Googles and Facebooks post the tech crash, right? There's a massive industry here. There's going to be a fair number of participants. There's just not going to be as many as there is right now. And there's going to be continued some of those companies going down. But at the same time, you're starting to see the stalwarts. You're starting to see the survivors of who are going to be the global entities. And that's where I think investors should continue to put their money. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what are the companies that you think will succeed over the next five years or so? Well, you can already see them happening, right? You know, Afri is definitely going to make it through on the big side. And then some of the others like the Canopies and even Aurora, which is, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to have been a shareholder up until this point, but now it really does look like they're getting to the point of fixing everything. So those ones are all going to survive. The extractors, again, like a Valens or a Metafarm, you know, continuing to do exceptionally well, right? Making money and, and really you'll probably see the extractors be the biggest revenue generators across the board as supply becomes more and more prevalent, right? Because mm-hmm. really none of the big fully integrated companies have built out enough extraction for even their own operations, let alone servicing others. So extraction continues to be a, a real bottleneck for most people because you know that's really what leads to your edibles to your vapes to your tinctures you know essentially 75 percent of the products that people really want to have outside of just straight up dried cannabis yeah 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 you mentioned dose can 
sold to Cannabis Wheaton for $38 million. What was it about Dosecan that was special that got it over the line for that sale that, I guess, brought you into the mix? Well, they immediately understood that if they wanted to participate in sort of what everyone is referring to as Cannabis 2.0, the vapes and all the other areas, they would need to, to do it quickly. So I give them full credit. They were one of the few companies that realized early on and that you needed a big extraction operation. And, and you can see Uxley has one of the biggest offerings in the space. So that was great. I think it was probably further validated by Imperial coming in, giving them a big whack of money. Mm-hmm. I think they just really understood it. And, you know, most people out there get that dried cannabis is a relatively small subsegment of the entire broad area. And I think at that point in time, they just decided, listen, we're going to focus on high premium and then the sort of the cannabis 2.0 products. So they did a great job, right? Yeah. And how do you compare, I guess, what you did at DoseCan to then founding Embark Health and and moving into... Yeah, so DoseCan was really, it was build a pharmaceutical-like extraction facility to service cannabis 2.0. Embark is really being built as a large scale extraction because the way we view this is the extraction business is much like the oil and gas business. You're constantly getting product coming in. That product could be hemp. It could be cannabis. It could be, you know, high grade cannabis. It could be low grade cannabis. So you need to have the capacity a to process massive amounts of cannabis, large scales. So, you know, 10 to 20,000 pounds easily a day and growing bigger. And at the same time, you have to have a variety of different modalities to process the cannabis or hemp that's coming in because, you know, all cannabis or hemp are not created equal. So if you're looking to make CBD isolate, it's going to go one direction. If you're looking to make bubble hash, it's going to go in a different direction. And I don't think the extractors out there until we really started to talk about this had, had even thought it. It was really just... CO2 extraction, that's the way to go. And that's really, you know, the sort of, as my partner refers to it, the hot dog maker of extraction, right? There's a lot of different other ways to go. And the real reason we're thinking more about large scale extraction is you always hear people talking about a Coca-Cola or one of these groups coming into the space. You're going to need to be able to do 50,000 kilos of isolate a month to service even a small bottle run for a company like that. Embark, which has two massive facilities that are ramping up this year, still won't be in a position to process enough on a daily basis to even sort of service a Coca-Cola. So again, we're probably one more iteration within that company of being big enough to service the really the Goliaths of the world. And that's really the direction that it has to go, right? You're going to need to be able to provide to your customers, like a pharmaceutical company does, consistent product geographically around the world. It has to be the same every single time. And that has to be done. So, so the way, right? So the way you're speaking is that I guess this ramp up will be absolutely huge in the coming years in terms of being able to supply a particular market. Hundred percent. I think eventually, what you probably want to do is have you know a crude extractor sitting out in the fields of Manitoba and you know twenty thousand acres of hemp, or you know, down in the heartland of the state somewhere where you're really just ripping it off the field, doing a quick, you know, bulk crude extraction, and then you're sending it for final processing to one of your big facilities, right? And that just is going to expand the scope again. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue down this route. And I think as we expand, and our view was always, 
you know, focus on the westernized geographies, right? They have real demand there. But at the same time, you know, it gives us stability that we care about. We're not that interested in, you know, growing cannabis for 20 cents a gram or 18 cents a gram in Africa or something like that. It just, it brings a whole host of other areas and issues that when you extract it, whether it be pesticides you're finding or, you know, GMP and supply issues and, you know, chain of custody, it's just, we've really want to stick to that area. And so we'll probably look to put in, well, we have Sequoia there within the portfolio. We're figuring out a way to make that work, but that again, that facility will continue to ramp up as well. Yeah. Yeah. Closely, do you will be working with your Coca-Colas, your pharmaceutical companies? There's, there's a whole range of, I guess, different industries. That you, are you going to have to work pretty closely with them? Yeah. So what we're seeing now in this stage is a lot of the brands are coming to Embark now because they want to have a licensed producer that can guarantee them the product so that they can have a room in the facility or something so they can you know, guarantee shipping out their product. As we go longer down and the lab gets bigger and more sophisticated, I 100% think that there's going to be a big pharmaceutical company that's going to want to take an interest in some clinical studies and bigger stuff, right? There's a lot of drugs within cannabis, the molecule. I mean, there's a variety of different cannabinoids and terpenes, and we don't yet know how those all work together. So a big pharmaceutical company is going to do the whole combinatorial chemistry thing, take it all apart and start to put it back together into, you know, small molecule drugs or, or what have you and figure out what does what. And yeah, I 100% there's going to be a big pharma company getting involved here sooner or later. Yeah. So I'm surprised that big pharma hasn't come along sooner in terms of, you know, they're usually trying to corner large markets. So it's, it's quite surprising that they haven't moved into the space yet. They need cannabis to be federally legal in the United States before they can do anything, right? The the FDA is eventually going to regulate this market. So I think what you'll see in the States over the next 18 months is eventually the FDA is going to come up with some guidelines for CBD, effectively saying, here's how you should extract and make your CBD. And this is what we approve. Post something like that, 100%, there's going to be more companies getting involved. But there is still a fair amount of stigma involved in the cannabis sector. And that's going to take a while until people aren't scared of the cannabis boogeyman coming out of the closet, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Some of that stigma caused by politics, do you think? 100%, right? There's Mm -hmm. absolutely no reason that you can have alcohol, sugar, and smoking legal and not have cannabis. They all have side effect profiles that are way worse with much longer term diseases, whether it be diabetes, cancer, heart attack, cannabis Mm -hmm. has none of these things, really. I mean, even the, yeah, it really has none of those side effects. Yeah. Yeah. The way Embark has grown, you're on your way to create the largest cannabis and CBD extraction business in Canada, got facilities in British Columbia and Ontario. What's been the behind the success of the company and the growth of the company? Well, I mean, So where we are right now, and the pandemic has helped us to a certain extent in that Health Canada has, you know, been very keen to get things approved through the essential nature of it, along with the local governments that we're working for. So so Embark now is fully licensed, both Health Canada and business license. We started production last week. So, you know, we're off to the races. I think what's probably the difference maker in this is the senior management has done this before, right? They've run public companies. They think between all of the senior managers, we have seven 
to eight federal facilities licensed, both on the grow side. I personally have been involved in four extractors getting licensed. So, so we really know what we're doing and it's not the first time. And then now that we have the, all the legal and regulatory stuff, our people have been doing this for, for many, many years. They've all worked within black market, but they've worked at a commercial scale. And I think what you've seen really with both the grows and the extractors is, is everybody can grow cannabis in, you know, small scale. Everybody can extract cannabis in small scale. The rub is really when you go commercial size and it's really tough to scale the grow and it's tough to, to scale the extraction unless you know what you're doing, right? And, and our guys have been doing this for many, many years and have a great understanding. So scaling, it's been easy. Then in terms of the actual build out, we partnered with a group called Trigon Construction. They're one of the principals of the company as well. So they're incentivized to make sure that the facilities that we're building are top notch and high class mm-hmm. because they actually have ownership in the company. And, you know, they're, they're really pushing the resources to it to get it done quickly. So yeah. we're super happy with how everything's gone and we think it's going to be a great company. And we signed up customers. So the expectation of news flow there with Embark is you're going to continue to see more supply deals coming, probably some large ones. We've been reached by a number of these large LPs within Canada who have just got so much cannabis, they need extraction help and probably eventually a going public strategy over the next six to nine months, depending on obviously market conditions. We're, we're certainly working in unprecedented times, but that's kind of the next steps for it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to touch on that IPO and given current global conditions, whether that was on track or not. And, and if that happens, I guess, because Australian investors do have an interest in, in if that happens, what would that mean for a, Embark Health, when it does happen or if it does happen, and yeah. what would be the follow-on for Australian investors, you know, that associated with MMJ Group? Sure. So Embark now within the MMJ portfolio is large or largest position. So what that would mean for the investors within MMJ is we're going to quantify some of that investment into an actual liquid form. So, you know, I think it's from where we put our first dollars in, it's a 1.9 times return at this point in time. We really feel like the markets have, you know, stabilized to a certain extent for cannabis companies because, frankly, they entered this COVID downturn after a six-month bear market. So, so this is probably the low end of valuations, which, you know, still puts us in a pretty good stead. Mm-hmm. Once we have a public entity, that'll give us currency to go take advantage of all the other private companies that are out there and potentially do some M&A activity. We're being constantly approached by, as I said, the brands earlier. So I think we'll have a bunch of announcements with that. So, so this is really just going public is really just the next step in the continued evolution of this company, right? It, it really is going to be a monster, hopefully a multi-billion dollar company. Our comps like Valens still hold 300 plus million market cap. So, you know, they're doing obviously more business, but it's a business that they ramped up into over a year, which is effectively, we're going to do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of MMJ, you're on the board. What differences, I guess, do you see between our industry, which is pretty fledgling at the moment, yep. and what's happened in Canada? Are there any sort of correlations there? Well, I mean, listen, we've seen this happen in a variety of different geographies. So what's happening in Australia is literally exactly the same thing that happened in Canada. You're starting with more of that medicinal clinic business, right? 
and eventually you will morph in and the rules and regs will become less and less. And do you go full recreation? Potentially, right? I think though, it's probably going to take a little bit longer. I got the sense in my last visit to Australia that people weren't as excited about full rec yet at this point in time, but certainly it's very stringent to get cannabis now. I think those rules are going to loosen and loosen over time. Yeah. I mean, it just really makes sense, right? There's obviously in Australia, like every other part of the world must be a massive black market for cannabis. So it just makes sense coming post out of this pure pandemic to you know legalize it and tax it, right? And you really saw that. You saw that at the end of the Great Depression with they did the exact same thing with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they legalized it and taxed it. So we think that's going to happen in the States. And, you know, once the United States does it, I think a lot of other countries are going to do the exact same thing, right? Yeah. It almost legitimatizes it to a certain extent. Canada doing it is one thing, but the United States is really a leader in, in these types of things. And if they I do guess it, bring it up. Sorry, go ahead. And if they do legalize it, that brings the FDA in and that goes back to your whole pharmaceutical discussion. That's when those companies will really get involved. And, you know, they have way more money than a Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> just just bringing, bringing that back to the health aspects, I guess, if you do take it off the black market, and there's not only a financial windfall for governments, private companies, et cetera, but the sea of those who are using it comes to, into play as well. Hundred percent, and that's who really the you know we're targeting is not the recreational use person. It's more the forty-year-old soccer mom who maybe has a cannabis spray in her bag or a vape or something along those lines. And more importantly, too, people are using these products globally. These products on the black market side are being made in these trap labs, and there's no rules or regulations how you extract and what goes into them, which leads to variety of stuff you saw with the vaping earlier this year. So, so making these products in a clinical setting, like pharmaceutical, like extraction facility, it just makes more sense for, for even the health of the people who are using it. Right. And yeah, it's really to someone who's been in the industry for a while, it seems like a no brainer to do it. Right. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that vaping, those vaping problem that, that was in existence there that couldn't have had a good impact but if you, I guess if you take those black market products, those products that aren't being made properly off the market, then things start to well, slip. Yeah, I mean, the vaping problem that you had earlier in the year is really driven by two things. It's driven by the additives that they're putting into the, the actual cannabis oil, which is not legal in Canada for just that reason, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the consumers don't face that. And at the same time, really cheap vapes, generally made out of China, what happens is because they're so cheaply made when they actually burn they burn off the heavy metals that are a part of that. And you're actually ingesting those heavy metals into your right. lungs as well. Right. So it's really, it's one of those areas where, you, you know, just like you had with alcohol and moonshine and you never know what you were getting. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just regulating these things makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike, just finally, if there are five things you'd like to see happen, let's say over the next five years in the cannabis space, what would they be? I think you're going to see and you're definitely going to see U.S. full legalization. I think that's going to be one of the biggest things because it's really going to give you a, a broad country that's behind it 100%. And I think that'll legitimize it a lot. I think you're going to see more big players get involved in the sector. So both the Coca-Cola, the pharmaceutical companies and others are going to be looking for ways to exploit this. 
And the industry is now getting to the point where it's mature enough that these bigger companies can be involved. More from a portfolio perspective of the things we'd like to see happen, we're expecting probably one or two of our portfolio companies to go public this year. And when I say this year, rolling 12 months, assuming no more pandemic. That we think is going to highlight what's really in the portfolio for investors. And then, you know, if I got those three things, I'd be pretty happy. I don't think I have five. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a big school. Well, we really, you know, from our perspective, there was an oversupply created in the industry. There was, you know, cost issues, capital issues. We faced all that. Whereas there's so many other industries out there, whether it be the oil and gas industry now, you know, just as a quick example of companies that are going to have to fix cost structures, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for them over the next 12 months. Within the cannabis space, we've just been declared essential, right? We went through a very difficult bear market where companies either got their cost structures and achieved profitability or they went bankrupt. So I think investors should be piling their money into good quality names here, right? Multiples are probably as low as you're going to see over the next couple of years, And really just start to think of this as your sort of, you know, we saw the cannabis crash. Now you just have to pick your Googles and Facebooks and others who are going to survive and become multi-billion dollar companies over time here. So we're super bullish on the space. You know, it could be choppy through the rest of 2020 just with things. But as we head into 2021, there's just going to be a massive outperformance of these cannabis companies. So we're looking forward to continuing here. We like where we're going. Interesting times ahead. Mike, thanks for your time. It's been great to speak with you. My pleasure. Thank you.